Henry is doing what I consider the most important work at another summit, which is supporting our outdoor leaders and ensuring that what we offer to our participants is world-class experiences. We don't charge for it. We do, but we will, we will offer outings this year that people would pay $250, $500, $1,000 or more to participate in. But we're doing it at no cost and we're doing it to help uh, our participant discover a healthy civilian lifestyle that they may not currently have. And we know that it works and we can see the, the, the changes in them as it happens. And we know that people have found something that they can rely on by becoming part of our organization. And although they were small and we don't have a big impact because we just operate right here in the lower Hudson Valley, we don't have a big impact. We're not going to become national. There, there are so many veterans and first responders within 50 miles of our headquarters in Beacon, New York. We never have to leave this area. What we have to do is capture what's working for us and share it as wide and far as possible. The bushwhacks were some of uh, the worst days I've ever had in the mountains, or life, really. Whereas Panzer Mountain is totally opposite, it's a mountain on top of a crater. I think the weather challenges on this incident were particularly difficult. It was really the development of New York State. Catskills were responsible. Now you're listening to Inside the Line, the Catskill Mountains Podcast. All right, welcome. I'm, we're back. I'm back. This has been a, a week, you know. I haven't done this in a little over two weeks. It's pretty weird. Feels weird. So, welcome to episode 109 of Inside the Line, the Catskill Mountains podcast. Tonight, I have program director Aaron Leonard and deputy program director Henry De La Vega from another summit. They're going to join me tonight, talk about their program that is all over the Northeast, and uh, give you some insight on how they help out first responders and veterans. It's very awesome stuff. Uh, Henry's been on the show before, it's twice, and Aaron, this is his first time. So this is going to be a good chat, great chat. Can't wait to chat about a bunch of stuff. So, guys, Devil's Path was voted number 10 of the most dangerous hikes in America. Did you hear about that? No, I haven't. I did not. This, this was, it, it's, I mean, it was from a, a weird, a weird little, uh, like, online website called AZ Animals. I don't know why. It's, but... They were talking about the top 10 hikes and uh, most dangerous hikes. You know, some of them I don't agree with because, like, I don't think Angel's Landing is that dangerous. It's just only dangerous if you're stupid. But Yeah, dangerous in certain conditions, like correct. tourist season. Correct. Or for the Devil's Path, maybe uh, it's probably pretty dangerous in the winter if you don't know what you're doing. Correct. And, you know, th that was number one. Angel's, Angel's Path or uh, Angel's Trail was... Angel's Landing was number one. I don't understand why that. Apparently, these people don't go to must places that are not popular. Um, number five was a place that I've been be, been to before called the Buckskin Gulch. I really don't know why that's dangerous. It's completely flat, and it's it's weaving in and out of amazing, uh, an amazing just gulch that goes on for a gully that goes on for forty two miles. Maybe it's just because. You, you might get like a little bit too far in and then you have to get out by dark, but 
you know, a um, bunch of different places like Camp Mir. I mean, I understand that. It's both. Uh, you've probably been there, uh, Henry. Camp Mir, maybe? Uh, is that on the PCT? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, do you, do yeah. you agree with that one? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> so, so this person <laughs> Again, doesn't maybe know. Maybe in the wrong conditions. Yeah. Uh, there's number eight is the Kalua Trail, which is over in Hawaii. I agree with that because it's actually absolutely uh, dangerous as heck because uh, people don't realize that 11 miles, 11 miles, plus you're walking on loose dirt that's on the side of a, a huge mountain. So, But number 10, Devil's Path. So I uh, was looking at that. And the, the funny thing is, is, am I looking at now? I don't know if they got the right photo. This photo doesn't look like it's on the Devil's Path, actually. Oh, wait, it is, it is. But they said when it comes to naming the most dangerous hikes in the U.S., Devil's Path has an app that gets it. There's no shortage of rescues because of vertical climbs. There's been more rescues on Burroughs Range. And they say it's underrated, no shortage of hikers, elevation change over 8,000 feet. It's actually over 9,000. And, uh, yeah, and they, they, it's just I, I find it very odd that they would put some of those trails before that. I mean, have you both been on Devil's Path, like at least some parts of it? Oh, yeah, I've done the whole thing. I think it's more like a Dr. Seuss trail. <laughs> because it's up and down and up and down, is that? Yeah, it's just out of, it's out of control. It... <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, you got to, you got to, I got to, I got to agree with that. It's, it's, it is, it can be like, like you said, in the, in the conditions, it can be dangerous, slippery, you know, stuff like that, but you can fly on it if not. I've got to say, I'm surprised that uh, the presidential traverse is placed below the Devil's Path. With Mount Washington on there, you'd think that uh, they probably get a lot more rescues. They get like two thousand percent more rescues on that. Yeah, uh, Mount Wa or presidential traverse is number thirteen. And the funny thing is, not even I don't even see. Yeah, no Pemi Loop. I would have put the Pemi Loop on there before the presidential traverse. Hmm. Because, you know, I mean, the exposure on the, on the presidentials is pretty rad, but the Pemi Loop has just so many ups and downs and just craziness. And, you know, I, I couldn't believe that part of it, most of it, actually all of it was never marked, right? Unless we got down on the, I, I don't understand why they can't mark that. The Appalachian Trail section was, was marked all right, but definitely not as clear as a lot of the uh, places we have around here. In New York. Yes, have you ever been on the Pemi Loop when it's raining? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have. <laughs> but you know what? I had a great organization that helped me out through that. And uh another summit, man, I, I cannot say more to have more better companions on that than than you guys. You know, Henry was on there and uh Mark was on there. Mark, I I apologize. I know he doesn't listen to this, but I apologize for my I don't know how to say it. My assholeness, I guess. <laughs> Every time he looked at me and took a picture, he was just like, he, I was just like looking at him like, don't do that. Don't do that. But yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like in that, you know, I, to be honest, I, I found the devil's path to be a little bit more difficult than the Pemi loop because I feel like the, the Pemi loop had grippy rocks to go up. At least they had some like limestone rocks that you could get some grip. Whereas uh, the devil's path just has those slippery flat shale rocks that you mm -hmm. can slip on easily. So I've, I found the Pemi loop to be actually very nice, but horrible you, you were lucky to go with Mark. I have a great story of how we started doing this work together. I don't mm -hmm. know if you have time on this podcast, but 
you have all the interest. The time on this podcast is the time you you want to spend here. When you get started again, you can tell whatever you want. Trust me, people love hearing it. But I don't know. That that was a really crazy number ten. Yeah, I, I know it's voted all the time in, in in top, you know, twenty at least in the most dangerous hikes. And see at number ten, that's pretty cool. Get some exposure. Get some people in the Catskills. Get some people in the mountains. Make them appreciate it. So, you know, we're talking of. Uh, New Hampshire and Pemi Loop and stuff like that. And fortunately, uh, back uh, five days ago on the weekend, or wait, wasn't the weekend? No, it was uh, Thursday. There was a rescue on Mount Guillot in uh, New Hampshire. And unfortunately, it wasn't a rescue, it was a recovery. Sorry, it was a recovery on Mount Guillot. And it's been a big talk because unfortunately, the guy went out to do the whole Pemi Loop. And if you don't know the Pemi Loop, it's massive 33 mile hike with amazing amount of 9,000 feet of gain, eight, 9,000 feet of gain. You know, you go over seven, eight peaks and to do that in the summer is crazy, but to do that in the winter is absolutely even crazier. And the conditions were just out of control and uh, to, to it's, it's really unfortunate that he didn't make it, but you, you gotta, there's a lot of questions. Of course, was he prepared? why there's two other guys with him why didn't he turn around with those two other guys just a lot of different things and you, you it, it gets your mind circling especially you know henry you're from search and rescue aaron you know you're a deputy uh, the program director of of this organization you gotta wonder what was going through their head summit fever stuff like that like what are you guys' thoughts on that it's very tragic well um I, oddly enough mark Rollin was on that rescue he's a beast perfect man right. for it uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I don't know, only know what I've read. You know, there's there's a couple of things there. One is one is that is a dangerous trail to begin with. And uh, it's definitely not one you should consider doing on your own solo. Uh, the weather compounded the entire event. And I, I don't, I can't imagine a, a, a person who, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to try to guess what what was going through the gentleman's mind, but that that just has to be a horrible situation to be in, and and then to try to get a rescue going and talk to the rescuers, and then the rescuers not able to get there, uh, you know, it's just like a cascade of errors and failures and unmovable barriers that constrained the uh, the rescuers' movements, and uh, you know, resulted in in the gentleman passing. So it would have been uh-huh. from our perspective. You know, Henry and I are both volunteer firefighters, and we've done minor rescues locally. Um, it's never easy to spend a couple of hours hiking around looking for somebody, finding them, and maybe or maybe not. You know, maybe they can self evacuate. Maybe you have to carry them. But in the Pemi Loop, that's not just a few hours. That's you're up there for 12, 24 hours or longer on a rescue like that, and then having it be. Uh, you know, a body recovery just kind of affects the whole crew, really. Um, so it's sad for the family. It's sad for the rescuers. Uh, you know, it's, there's no there's no good story coming out of it at all. Yeah. And uh, just to go quick over the details. So at 1020 p.m., sorry, uh, but January 16th on Tuesday, uh, he contacted Fishing Game saying that he was cold and uh, concerned that uh, or his family contacted Fishing Game saying that he was called cold 
and uh, they were concerned about him. And then they he contacted them a couple hours later saying that he was getting cold and he was starting to feel hypothermia uh, by 200 or by 200 hours, which is uh, 2 a.m. on January 17th. So the next day, the next Wednesday, they started in and they said the re rescue effort was very slow and they had to trudge through waist deep of snow. And they got above tree line, faced amazingly heavy winds, blowing snow. And they made very little progress. And they said, like, we can't do this. This is rest like threatening our, our rescuers. We have to abort. And, you know, 100% awesome call, amazing call by both Fishing Game and the, the search and rescue volunteers to not risk their lives to, to go after that man uh up there because that would have been a whole bigger problem especially with like six seven people uh, above there and unfortunately they couldn't get helicopters up there they tried but the, there was a low cloud ceiling the winds were were uh objectifying the the rescue so they had to abort and then start the next day uh 5 p.m mountain rescue service reached a hiker on on that day but unfortunately he was deceased uh they would come off the mountain and they would uh started on the next day uh 8 30 a.m on thursday january 18th they've showed they found where he was and they got to get to him and they recovered him by helicopter so 37 yeah. year old christopher roma of thornton new hampshire unfortunate once again thoughts and prayers go out to the family and and the friends and everything and this is a big event to a lot of hikers here up in new hampshire you know i've been reading on a lot of the social media stuff and a lot of people are thinking about their winter hikes and you know how much like the, i remember reading a couple people that are second guessing doing hikes in the winter now because of this because the guy was an experienced hiker you know he did uh the triple crown henry did the triple crown so uh but you, you gotta once again wonder what was going through the guy's head that would make him continue on when two of his friends turned around and said no way this is this is crazy and i am one of those guys that i do not i like i love those situations i love the wind blowing in your face, you you getting kind of uh, just going on and seeing if you can survive. But then I'd just be like, no, nope, no, nope, I'm I'm right here. You know, we're done. My life has been threatened enough. We're we're out of here. I don't want to push it a little bit further. So I'll mention, um, it's actually unclear whether or not those two friends who backed up were on the hike, or if they backed up the night before or the morning of. So that's that's actually still a. Uh, uh, not really certain um whether or not they were actually with him and, and turned around oh okay okay i mean still to have it to turn around yeah i i i it's a, like once again gets your mind going it gets you thinking like a lot of these times i i say you know the mountains will be there once again the next mm -hmm. day and to to take on that uh challenge is just way beyond what i was thinking and people underestimate the whites and the adirondacks and and stuff like that you can't they might be four thousand feet but that's four thousand feet of something that might be something like up in you know twelve thousand feet in canada or denali or stuff like that you know and henry you've done the the triple crown what are your, what are your thoughts on this situation you know it's sad uh to see such an experienced person um, go into something like that and go down. Um, I think there is, you know, uh, there is kind of uh, this this fuzzy line 
uh, where someone who is very experienced starts to overestimate what, and I, I don't want to assume, I, I don't know exactly what he was thinking when he was planning this out, but maybe overestimating what he was capable of. I think usually when runners try to do the penny in a day, they're aiming for 16 hours. And, uh, you know, it was, there was forecasted heavy snow. Um, as we read in that report, it was waist deep in areas. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's real sad. <laughs> I don't have much yeah. more to say than that. And it's a, it's a touchy subject because once again, like, I don't think I'd, I'd want to risk my life trying to summon a mountain or finish a hike. I would feel like this is not safe. I've done that in the Catskills turned around in the Catskills. I've been like, oh, yeah. uh, uh-uh. and that's, that's, you know, we don't have above tree line. We don't have, you know, 60 to 80 mile an hour winds hitting us above tree line stuff like that. We don't have that kind of thing, but I've been like, you know, I'm weak right now. I need to turn around. This is not my day. Let's just forget about it. And to, to even like to, you know, been on the Pemi loop, Henry and I, and you know, to, to think that someone could get three quarters of the way in those conditions is just absolutely insane. Uh, you know, I would have been up probably, what is it like, liberty and flume i would have got like quarter of the way up uh lafayette and been like nope this is this is not cool this is not fun yeah it's wild to think that that he made it through the uh franconia ridge and uh lincoln or uh, sorry not lincoln um lafayette yeah it's crazy so once again everybody once again think about your gear in the winter i know a lot of people on, on that listen to this episode probably already know their their limits and stuff like that but when you don't feel that so in your gut you have that gut feeling turn around that's it's definitely not worth it the summit especially you know if you have people to go home to um people that care about you and stuff like that it's not worth it at all but so one on the next thing helicopter rescues trapped trapped kentucky hikers from snow and dangerous operation it's really Hmm. weird to say kentucky and snow that's the one thing yeah. that I found very odd that we got this recent cold spell and it brought snow. I, I saw a, a recent map of the snow that went all the way up from Maine, all the way down to like Georgia, the tip of Georgia, all the smoky mountains and stuff like that. It was really insane. But four college students from Kentucky scaled a rocky pinnacle in search of a perfect campsite and the weather turned bad. They called for help and search and rescue called it one of the most dangerous rescues ever attempted in the Kentucky region. So they got them by helicopter. They got them out the clifftop site. They had to be lowered down by a Blackhawk helicopter. And uh, they've been camping over overnight, underestimated the weather conditions. And after waking up the morning covered in snow, determined that it was not safe for the attempt climbing down. So they weren't going to go back up. They were going to go down. So once again, during these conditions, uh, these people underestimated the snow, the rain. I mean, I could I could understand down there because they get it very, 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 very rarely. But once again, you can't underestimate Mother Nature. But they all survived. They were all rescued. Just saying Kentucky and snow is absolutely uh, crazy. I don't, you don't hear that every month. And rescues, hiker rescues down there. So uh, what do you guys, what's your thoughts on that crazy thing? Um, you know, I... It's not just that one incident, but what I've seen over the years is an enormous number of near misses that are very similar. And usually it, it boils down to just a 
lack of experience and proper planning. I don't know their situation either, but um, I have never had to go rescue somebody in this area that did not, they, they could have avoided uh, the incident or the rescue. The, I think the worst one we saw was uh, in the past few years was similar. It was a group of friends that are a group of people that have uh, met somehow. I want to call them friends that certainly not after the rescue was over, they weren't very happy with each other, but um, <laughs> they were doing a hike. That's just, I can almost see it out the window of my house around this hill called Mount Taurus. And they got, they got uh, only 1300 feet up on this, this, uh, this hill that's in the Hudson Highlands, so it's south of the Catskills. And there's some uh, fjord area here on the river, the Hudson, that has these uh, majestic hills that pop up from, um, you know, the shoreline and just jump right up to about 1,400 feet. So they're beautiful hikes and climbs. Um, anyways, the weather was turning bad. Uh, it was colder than they, than they had anticipated, I think, because they were not dressed for the weather. It started to rain. There was a thunderstorm rolling in. It got dark. They didn't have any lighting besides their cell phones. So you can imagine all the the mistakes that were made by them at the very beginning, uh, being being not properly prepared for the weather, for for it getting dark out. Uh, definitely, it, you know, it's a safe trail in most conditions um, until it's not, right? So uh, they decided to walk towards the river. They ended up being stuck on a cliff, and we got to the base of the cliff around 9 p.m. And we weren't done with the rescue till around 2 a.m. They wow. came really close to dying in just this little trail outside of New York City uh, by falling off a cliff in a lightning storm wow. just because of not knowing where they were going, not planning for the weather, not packing appropriately, and so on and so on. So whatever happened with these folks that, that got stranded and had to be rescued by a helicopter, obviously they chose an aerial evacuation because it was probably safest for the rescuers and had the best chance of success for the for the folks that were up there they're lucky they had that asset that's not necessarily the case right aircraft don't fly in bad weather i got rescued out of uh the 100 mile wilderness in maine by uh two rangers or two uh, game wardens in a canoe because the weather was too bad to fly in the float plane otherwise it would have been an easy rescue and instead it turned out to be 12 plus hours of real um slow moving and bad weather in a canoe and i had a busted leg so it, you know you never know what the rescuers are going to have to put up with if you don't plan properly and you call them and you ask for help they're going to try to get to you but you know those folks could have been strapped there for trapped up there for a few days pretty easily yeah and you know a lot of a lot of people don't realize the cost of the rescuers that when they go out to rescue what they have to go through you know with with the condition up in new hampshire they had to deal with that probably times two to get up through those different those crazy conditions because you know a lot of people don't know they have to haul the litter up there just in case they got to haul extra stuff on their backs they gotta just trudge through all that and then a lot of these people don't realize how difficult a carryout can be a difficult carryouts with 16 people is still amazingly difficult you got to switch every two to four minutes because you're tired you're carrying 150 to 200 pounds it's it's very very uh difficult for the rescuers uh, not only threatening for them but you know tiring and exhausting and stuff to to get you out of there so that's the one thing that i i wish people would kind of see more 
is a little bit more of what you know we're all uh your firefighters and search and rescue volunteers here that they have to see behind the you know the scene of how difficult it is to, to carry a person out or to help a person how long it takes that's that's the thing how long it takes it, it's it's not it's not easy i don't know I don't, a lot of people don't understand that crazy stuff yeah so last couple thing uh, last thing uh we're want to talk about like winters coming in so there i have some secret winter tricks to talk talk about real quickly so a lot of people have been talking about getting their their spikes broken so one thing that you should do is carry at least three to four zip ties in your your backpack to zip tie those spikes it usually rips off from the rubber or your your spike will your little chain will break Just carry a zip tie zip it up temporarily for the the ride home or something like that to get you back to your car or another thing that i found in in the previous years when i was first starting is to tuck in my shoelaces so they don't get caught in the spikes of my other shoe so i've done that several times of where i've been stepping and it got caught onto my spike and i freaking went face first into the snow and uh or on the ice and stuff like that had a really crazy bloody nose and stuff like that so you guys got any other tips that you you winter tips and tricks that you want to throw out there? Yeah, sure. Um, a good one is heating your water at home before you throw it in your water, ba- uh, water bottles. Um, yep. You can bring it almost up to a boil to keep it from freezing while you're out on your hike. Uh, if, it, if you've ever made it up to a summit and gone to take a swig of water and it's frozen, it's, it's not fun, especially in, you know, dry winter conditions. If you use a water bladder, remembering to blow the water out of the hose back into the bladder after you take a drink, even if you have that insulation uh, around the outside, it, it will still freeze if it's cold enough. Awesome tips. Yeah. Aaron. I have put a uh, chemical heater, like a hand warmer, in my, my food bag just to keep things easier to chew once it gets really cold. Mm. Out. Very, very nice. Very smart. Oh, I was going to say, this might be something your listeners already know about, but um, checking uh, mountain forecast before going out um, and getting actual uh, forecast for summit temperatures and wind chills uh, rather than just checking the uh, the base or areas nearby. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, the the food one's actually very good because, you know, I've, I've also been uh, hiking and, you know, you got some of those gel packs you want to take and stuff like that you got the Gatorade gel packs and you sit there and you're like, Oh man, it's not frozen, but it's sitting there. You're like feeling like a tooth is going to come out with the gel pack at the same time. So <laughs> it's not very good tips and tricks. So awesome. Thanks guys for the shooting the, uh, the, the shit with me. I always call it that. Sorry, Aaron. I can edit this out if you want me to the, for the organization, if you want me to. We're going to be okay. Okay. Um, so I'd like to thank the monthly supporters, Darren White, Vicky Ferreira, John Comiskey, Jim C., Michael Bongner, M- David Mead, Matt Smith, and Denise Weiss. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Also, thank you to Outdoor Chronicles Photography. Molly from Outdoor Chronicles Photography specializes in adventure elopement and adventure couple photography in the Catskills, Adirondacks, and the White Mountains. She's an officiant for getting married and a licensed guide, but she is also a story maker. Molly won't just give you photos. She'll give you memories that will last forever. Don't hesitate to get a hold of Molly on all platforms. Also, have you ever wanted to learn more about hiking or backpacking or even just brush up on some of your old skills in the backcountry? Check out Trailbound Project, a hiking and backpacking school. 
Scott and Joe from the New Jersey Search and Rescue Team have amazing backgrounds in Wilderness First Aid, Wilderness First Responder, and the Mountain Rescue Association. And they are there for you to learn all the new skills of hiking and backpacking. They teach first aid, compass, map and compass, many other skills that could help you and others while on their trail. Check them out on their website and all social media platforms. So, you guys having anything to drink tonight? Do you want the truth? Definitely. <laughs> the crew, nice. Uh, a, a spindrift sparkling water. Hey, that's that's. Oh, I'm, the... I'm drinking sparkling water too. We're a uh, hardcore what's... over here. <laughs> so, what's up with the sparkling water? What's the benefit of that? No cramps. You know what? I think it's an East Coast thing because until I retired from the army and moved up to moved to the East Coast, I I never considered ever drinking sparkling water. <laughs> it seems to be everywhere around here. I go back. <laughs> To where I grew up on the West Coast, and I don't, I don't see anybody ordering anything or drinking this stuff at all. So you, you'll have to explain to me, East Coast folks, why it is so popular. Please, definitely. <laughs> and uh, Henry, you had a crew, I'm guessing. Yep, yep, yeah. Nice pamplemousse. Nice. Very also fancy. My favorite flavor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, <look> at that. <laughs> nice, nice. Because we spend so much time together. That's right. Well, that's good. At least you know each other. <laughs> uh, just having a uh, actually Hilton Head Island rum and Coke. So I, 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 my wife has been hiding. We went down the Hilton Head Island a while back and she's been hiding a rum and I found the rum. So I use it tonight. <laughs> so she's like, I don't want to drink it because we don't know when we're going to go back. I'm like, oh, I'm going to drink it. Sorry. Yeah. So, hey, there's a good reason to go back. Exactly. Exactly. So you guys uh, been on any previous hikes lately that you want to chat about? Previous hikes that I want to share. Yeah. Local, whatever. Not anything in the past uh, life, I guess, the past year. Sure. How about if Henry goes first? I'm always curious to hear what he's had going on. True. Oh, this Sunday I went up and uh, did Bull Hill and the Undercliff Trail in Hudson Highland State Park Preserve. That's an easy one for me. It's right in the backyard uh, i think i hit the trailhead about 45 second walk from my front door nice my wife and i maintained part of that trail for the for the trail conference so it was good to get up there and check on that it's actually my first long hike i've done since a knee injury in the fall so it was on uh doctor's orders get out there nice. and start working it nice good good for you glad you got back out how was what was the mm -hmm. conditions uh there was probably three, four inches of snow the whole way, a couple big icy slabs. So definitely, uh, even in the lower Hudson Valley, there's still a lot of snow on the ground. So bring your spikes if you're coming out. Maybe not after this week with the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm getting snow up here. So, uh, but it's wet snow. So Aaron, what about you, sir? Uh, I was fortunate enough to leave a job last year and took some time off long enough to do about I don't know, four or 500 miles on the Appalachian Trail. And that's the first time I've done a long section of solo, you know, where you're, I think the entire time I camped in Connecticut, most of New York and New Jersey, one night there was somebody else at the campsite at the at the shelter. Otherwise, it was just nothing. And in, and in Connecticut and New Jersey, you don't, you can't build fires at the shelters on the AT, right? So it's getting dark at six, and there's no fire and you really just kind of by yourself right so um 
it started out like that was really awesome. And then it started to get uh, a little tiresome, I guess. So I practiced what I think Henry would have encouraged was I was getting up super early. Like I would start hiking at four in the morning just because I wanted to get more than a couple of hours of daylight in during the day. And, and I would keep going until, you know, I'd be hiking with the headlamp at night because it feels late, right? But it's only like six. So that was my longest time in doing uh, backpacking. Um, pretty easy to support since I live in, on the Hudson River, you know, just down the street from Henry, really. But um, that was a good one. That was a lot of fun. Nice. 500 miles. Wow. Uh, all solo? Yes. Wow. That's 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 awesome. Uh, unbelievable. Wrong, going the wrong direction at the wrong time of year. As Henry very clearly pointed <laughs> out, are you sure? <laughs> Is that what you said to him when he when he said he was going to do it? Uh, it sounds like it must have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just as long as so, wh where was it? Where was it that you started and ended again? Are you doing in sections? I'm guessing your section hiking. I jumped a around a bit, but. Um, I was up as far as the uh, just a few, you know, dozen miles or so into Vermont, and then down as far as the um, Delaware Water Gap. Oh wow, that's a good, that's a good, nice little trip. Excellent, yeah. cool, yeah, that's fantastic. I recently was up at a place in Oneonta called Mud Lake. It's actually one of the few hikes around here that you can do some good, decent elevation gain. Probably like eight, nine hundred feet of elevation gain total around five miles no views we have very little little views up here we're the foothills of the catskills so uh we just have tree cover everywhere but uh beautiful snowy day we we got a couple inches of snow that day and i decided to just i wanted to be out there in the snow and the wind and stuff it felt great and then the next week well the next couple days we did a sar drill down at colgate lake in the Catskills and uh, we did shelter building and fire building. So, I mean, you guys probably know this uh, being uh, fire uh, volunteers, you know, and search and rescue volunteers, you know, shelter building sometimes is, is critical and stuff like that. If you want to spend the night or if you want to keep a patient warm and uh, if they're in, you know, hypothermia or even just so if you need to spend a night. So we, we had what we had in our packs. You got to do what you got to do build a shelter and fire some people had crazy awesome fires going inside of their their tent was 80 something degrees some of us you know had it like good old 60 degrees stuff like that perfect uh when you have a uh you know a blanket or something like that um and then you know once we started getting our, our fires going and tents going all of a sudden those huge i don't know if you guys got them but the crazy squalls hit and uh you know we got like two inches in a matter of an hour and like, you know, 30, 40 mile an hour winds constant. So it was perfect day for one of those type of drills to where you have to find a spot to, to have where the wind is exactly perfect to where it will not go into the tent to, you know, suffocate your victim with, with the smell of the smoke and stuff like that and choke him and stuff like that. But you have the, the projection of the wind to blow that hot air into the tent. And uh, it was a really cool drill. And the way home was, was actually very scary drive because there was like three or four of those squalls. And it took me, usually it takes me an hour and 20 minutes and it took me about two and a half hours to get home because of that. It was amazing, amazing crap that happens. It was great drill. So yeah. It's a good test of your shelter building 
skills too. Yep. Straight up yeah. tart tarp and uh, uh just plastic uh like painter's sheet of uh clear plastic you know two mil plastic and uh i was lucky you know they they gave us all different coordinates went around and we set up where we had i was lucky i had a couple down trees so i got a nice nice twigs to start the fire and then big branches to to get the fire going but those branches were so dried out that you know every two minutes i'd have to go get more firewood and just keep yeah. going and keep going bigger you get, but still they would burn so quick that you're just like, wow. And you don't realize how much like firewood you have to go through when it's that cold and you want to keep it that warm inside your shelter. And, uh, it really like makes you think in the winter, like, man, this is like some of the stuff that the Rangers would have to do. You know, I've heard of stories from the Rangers and stuff that they have to keep a person overnight on the, on the top of, you know, Wittenberg mountain or stuff like that, uh, with a fire that they'd have to keep them warm and stuff because of, you know, hypothermia or a broken leg or stuff like that. So cool stuff. Yeah, It's a great, great reason to add a saw, uh, just a little saw to your, uh, winter kit. Yep. Our, one of our guys had a, like a knife that was probably a good three or four inches and it had like a, like a two inch saw on there. And it's just like interesting. It's mm-hmm. just like amazing, huge knife that had every sort of bit whatsoever that you needed so crazy stuff so gonna do a little weather forecast real quick for the weekend but the all the week we're supposed to be getting the next this is recording on tuesday so wednesday thursday friday rain not like too much but a decent amount that'll cover that snow and make it a complete sheet of ice saturday it looks like a high of 36 with uh, a little bit of light snow at the nighttime and then sunday a high of 34 Wind chills getting down into like the mid twenties, stuff like that. So it's everything's going to be a complete sheet of ice. Bring your micro spikes. Highly doubtful you'll need snowshoes, but put them in the car just in case, or pack them on just to test your like strength. And uh, <laughs> but once again, it's just crazy weather we're having. No snow, rain, ice, and stuff like that. You get snow for a week and you feel good, and then all of a sudden you get crapped on once again in the Northeast. Northeast is the most unpredictable place in the world. It's crazy. All right. So uh, I'm going to hit the sponsors and then we'll get on to the uh, episode. All right. Sounds good. All right. So is it time for some new gear hiking in the Catskills? Say no more. Camp Catskill in Tannersville has all your hiking needs. Footwear, socks, moisture wicking shirts, freeze dried meals, Catskill merchandise, and more. They have all the essentials for your hiking needs. Located in Tannersville and online. Check them out at campcatskill.com. If you want stickers, stop here too. Also, if you're ready to hit the trail, make sure you take the scenic route. Scenic route guidings are here to help you with your goals, big or small, like Marcy or Slide or Lone or the Sewards. Check out scenic route guiding and gear rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the code MOUNTAINLINE. Also, check out Another Summit, a nonprofit program that leads free outdoor adventures that leads outdoor adventures and activities for veterans and first responders for free activities like walking or hiking or even backpacking and paddling trip check out another summit.org for more information and dates on future events you guys are putting pressure on me that's why i messed that up you guys are putting <laughs> pressure on me i think you did a great job describing the surface of a mission i got to come up with a with a new one for everybody because it's starting to get old it's starting to get old for me, so I can imagine people that listen to this. <laughs> but so let's get on to the guest of the night. Let's go. 
So tonight I have Aaron and Henry here from Another Summit, a nonprofit organization that uh, has been sponsoring the show for a while now. And uh, they lead outdoor adventure and activities for veterans and first responders for free. Amazing program that I learned about uh, back in July of last year or June of last year. And uh, Henry also told me about that when he was on, when he did talked about the Triple Crown as well. But I got deep into it when I went on the trip with them for uh, the Pemi Loop back in June of 2023. And it was one of the craziest days, three days of my life, and uh, but one of the most memorable times of my life. So great to have them here. So welcome to the show, Aaron and Henry. Great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, why don't you give a little background about yourself? Uh, Aaron, let's go first. Um, sure. So Aaron Leonard, I grew up in the Bay Area of Northern California, just north of San Francisco. Spent really very limited time outdoors as a teenager. I enlisted in the Army, though, when I was 18. And I retired when I was 46. So I spent 27 years in the military. I was an artilleryman when I left plenty of times uh, around the world, uh, especially after 9-11. And as I was leaving the, the military, I a few years out from that, I had a chance to do a one-week Outward Bound for Veterans expedition in Minnesota, out of Ely, Minnesota. It was a dog sledding uh, trip in the Boundary Waters. And I was just blown away by this thing called uh, Therapeutic Outdoor Adventure, which was the type of program they ran for, they run for uh, military veterans. <clears throat> and um, I started doing that work with a, a nonprofit in, in New York City called Project Rebirth. They, they actually were a filmmaking nonprofit that captured the entire rebuilding of Lower Manhattan using 14 35 millimeter cameras, time-lapse photography for 10 years. And they followed nine people for 10 years to capture their recovery after the 9-11 attacks. And that's a very direct connection to the military, especially my experience, my time in, um, and anybody else who joined after 9-11 that was a catalyst for a lot of change for us. <clears throat> so they were interested in creating a outdoor program. And just by chance, I met them when I was stationed in Texas and uh, one day I was leading a trip for that organization. Not that I knew what I was doing yet. I guess I was practicing the uh, fake it till you make it process, right? Um, <laughs> but I was a professional leader in the Army, and I knew how to manage risk, and I knew how to lead people. So it wasn't hard for me to lead a bunch of soldiers that were stationed at Fort Bliss, Texas, out, out by uh, the, the far western edge of Texas on a, a week-long backpacking trip in the desert. And... That one experience made me decide to retire and then figure out how I can do work in this field, whatever that was. Um, and that led me to today, where 10 years later, I'm running uh, another summit and the opportunity to work with Henry and all the other great folks that are part of our team. Awesome. So thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, amazing. Uh, 27 years, right? Yes. Wow. Uh, what was your, your, your ranking again? And so I started out as a private, and then 10 years into my career, I went to OCS and became a lieutenant. And I, when I retired, I was a lieutenant colonel. Nice. Wow. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, once again, thank you for, for your service. And uh, once again, we'll be talking more about another summit. And I thank you for that service as well, because that's very important to uh, first responders and veterans, please. So 
Uh, Henry, what about you, sir? You've already been on here two times, so keep it short. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I I got I'm the opposite. I got started in the outdoors at a very young age. I went through uh, the scouts, uh, so it was a big part of my growing up. Uh, when I went to college, I kind of backed off from it for a while and uh, moved up from, from uh, where I was in Florida to New York, and that move was uh, a little tough on me, and it was going back out into the outdoors that that really helped me adjust uh, um, to being up here. Long story short, I got more into backpacking, eventually hiked the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, came back from that and decided I really wanted to make it a part of my life to help introduce other people to the outdoors and uh, share that that healing that I was able to get out of it. And that's when uh, uh, my wife and I got licensed to guide and start taking a people from the city out, mostly in the Hudson Valley. Fast forward, I did the Continental Divide Trail, came back. I moved up to um, Nelsonville, uh, where I live now. And after the search and rescue that Aaron had actually talked about earlier with the hikers in February who were uh, on that cliff, I'd, I'd read that in the newspaper and a few people had sent me articles. And uh, my wife and I were like, oh, this is something we can actually help with. We have the skills to assist in uh, these kinds of rescue missions. So we contacted the local fire department, which is where I met Aaron, and which is how I got to another summit. All right. So uh, th once again, you you just said you didn't say the Triple Crown, though, Henry. Come on. You got to say that. You've done the Triple Crown. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mentioned all the trails. I did the Triple Crown. I did the Florida Trail. I've probably got 12,000 plus miles of, of backpacking under my feet. I stopped keeping count. I'm not a big numbers guy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. But so we this... are. We love to talk about Henry. <laughs> well, I mean, you have rights to brag, both of you. So I, I, I would be bragging about that stuff. So amazing backgrounds in, in both of you. So the combination of both. So Aaron is the program di director and Henry is the deputy program director of another summit. You guys want to check chat really quickly about another summit. I'll give you the, um, the, the program director version. I, I would love to hear Henry share about what it's like on the ground for all of our awesome volunteer outdoor leaders at another summit. So, after 9-11, there was a rapid growth of veteran-serving organizations across the country, and it had to do with more awareness of the psychological impacts of the trauma associated with working in, in, in you know, either on a combat deployment or surrounding yourself in, in that type of environment. Um, this is not unique, clearly, to U.S. soldiers or U.S. members of the military. It's, it's common among any population or community, uh, military or civilian, that's exposed to these types of, uh, of um, you know, day-to-day -day stressors that come with that environment. Uh, you can look at the news tonight and you'll become, you know, reminded of millions of people that are going through those similar situations right now. Um, most popular ones that we hear about, of course, are uh, Ukraine and, and then in Israel. But, it, it, you know, like those populations, when they come out the other end of their conflicts, uh, they're going to have a, the same problem that we had with, with a lot of our service members. Um, and this, is, this has been going on since the beginning of, of civilization, we feel. So here in the United States, 
we have the opportunity to leverage some of our our wealth into using these unique modalities to help alleviate some of the the stress that comes with post service experiences. So you you've come out of the military or you've left or or you're still in perhaps uh, the military or the um, uh, first responder community, maybe police or fire. And in those communities, you have this regular exposure over time to traumatic events. Um, you know, you can imagine the, the daily life of a police officer in a high stress area. It's going to be constant stress, stress, stress all the time. And you're not as a human, that stress will just build up and builds up and builds up. And, and a lot of folks can get into these unhealthy habits to try to self-medicate or they can start to experience post-traumatic stress symptoms or, or uh, signs. Um, they can go into depression, anxiety. They might have suicidal ideations all while they're still in the service and definitely when they get out. And, and, and the, the role that I wanted to get involved in was somebody's left the military or they've left the first responder community and they're trying to transition into this new civilian lifestyle, which I did myself. I lived through this myself. I had all of the signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I struggled a lot with my transition. And, and all of us to deal with these, these uh, you know, the results of our, our service time differently. But in my case, uh, when I did that Outward Bound for Veterans expedition, when I got exposed to um, wilderness therapy. So what we run is a, is a version of wilderness therapy. It's called technically called a therapeutic outdoor adventure program. So we don't have clinicians on staff that are designing programs or working with clients. We have non-clinicians, many of them volunteers or, or staff like Henry or myself, and we're not clinicians, like we're not social, uh, we're not social workers, we're not therapists in the sense that we carry a license. So, but we can still practice some of the same techniques that, that somebody would to create an environment that will allow for some personal growth or some abilities to uh, to make some connections through metaphors with the environment and personal life uh, to create some uh, social uh, strength but by creating you know opportunity making friends shared experiences all these things we know uh, and I felt this on this outward bound trip all these things we know will help to uh, decrease a person's sense of loneliness which is the key uh, part of, of what could become suicidality in somebody or also to increase a person's sense of belonging also gets at that that sense of purpose in their life is recreated. So there's some some things that I learned early on in this career field, you know, 10 years ago for me, that I thought were really unique. And it's such an easy thing to offer, to offer up a hike or a, a paddle of some kind or go fishing. But I wasn't aware of like how do you structure that? It's a very big world, right? And it's it's not easy for a lot of folks to access these types of outdoor programs and over the years, I've had a chance to work on or be part of many different uh, program models, uh, professional organizations. I've done some research projects with the uh, University of Utah and Prescott College. I went on and got a graduate degree in um, outdoor education and leadership from Prescott College. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they, they're one of the founding schools in, in this world of um, outdoor adventure and experiential education, which we all spend time in. Nice. And then it came to another summit, and um, it was just a chance encounter with the founders, one of whom uh, was on a SEAL team for about six years and another who uh, wasn't, but they went to high school together and and they came up with this idea to create Guardian Revival and they wanted to have a hiking program, but they didn't know how to do it. 
So I was asked to volunteer and advise them. I decided as a volunteer to run the program for the past few years. Um, And what we've designed with, you know, me being there and all these other people like Henry, his wife, Lauren, my wife, Leslie, who has always been helping me with uh, developing aspects of programs like this. Uh, we've designed a therapeutic outdoor adventure program that's that's really meant to most benefit military veterans and first responders by purposely creating these hikes and trips and outings that are led by professionals um, that have these great positive impacts on their sense of well-being, their overall sense of well-being. So the you know from where I work at at the organization. Um, I've been able to influence a lot of that to program design, creating the opportunities to help us receive some funding from, from private sources, uh, knowing the community that we're working with, because I am, am a veteran and I am also a first responder. So I can have a voice in both of those communities and encourage the partnerships. And, and you know, I understand the little things like the average age of the veteran community is 65. We have 18.5 million left million living veterans in the United States today, and half of them are 65 or older. So think about that. This is not an outdoor program that's meant to be a bunch of fit people going up to the top of a mountain. This is offering a chance to just sit outside and go bird watching or do a walk around a pond or learn how to fly fish. Not doesn't have to be physically challenging every time we go outside. Rethink the idea of what an outing is. Prioritize making it as accessible as possible for marginalized communities, for people who don't have access to transportation, for people that don't have any mobility, like creating the same type of outdoor experiences that you would give to a fully fit and able-bodied participant, but make it so that any age and any physical ability level can participate. So that was my, my approach to this whole thing has been, it's gonna be have a therapeutic outcome, it's going to be accessible to everybody. It has to be well-funded. It has to have full-time staff. We can't rely solely on volunteers. We're, we have to grow to be a professional outdoor program. We have to be recognized by the state of New York. We founded and we currently run the New York State Outdoor RX Coalition, which has over 200 member organizations. Wow. And we advocate for change in policy and, and legislation that makes it easier for veterans and uh, to get outside, right? Um, to access our public lands and our public waters. So we're working from the top down and from the bottom up all at the same time. We're partnering with the VAs, we're partnering with any veteran serving organization that's in our area. We belong to the right coalitions. We publish research in academic journals that we perform right here in New York through our company, right? Wow. So we're hitting this from all these different angles at my level and with the people that I work with in my larger collaboration efforts. But the, the work itself, the most important thing happens on the ground. It's that interaction between the outdoor leader and the participant. That's the priority at all times. That is the number one thing on our list. And we brought Henry on board because we needed somebody to spearhead the relationships that we have with our volunteer outdoor leaders, our paid outdoor leaders, any contractor we hire, the trips that we design. Like the somebody has to design the actual outing. Somebody has to pick the trail that maybe is not the devil's path, right? For the retirees. So, yeah. you know, we had it when Henry, when I heard, when I met Henry and his wife, Lauren, who are both triple crowners. And, and um, I was like, what? 
because I knew what that was. A lot of people around here don't. I said, yeah. there's no way. I like to say there's there's fewer triple crowners than astronauts. I don't know if that's really true, but it sounds really good, right? So when I met Henry, I yeah. told all the guys at the firehouse, I'm like, you don't understand what these two have done, you know? But the the the, the gentleman that founded our trip, he's a steel. He didn't know what triple crowners were. I explained it to him. And it's like, yeah, they're like the SEAL Team 6 of the backpacking community, right? <laughs> Nobody does that. The mental <laughs> discipline it takes to do that much time on a trail is unbelievable. The, and not to mention the physical, the discomforts. Uh, you know, Henry and Lauren were sold to me as soon as I heard that I met them, I talked to them. And then on top of that, they, they're great people to be with. So real cue for us. It's almost like it was destined to hire Henry. Henry is doing what I consider the most important work at another summit, which is supporting our outdoor leaders and ensuring that what we offer to our participants is world-class experiences. We don't charge for it. We do, we will, we will offer outings this year that people would pay $250, $500, $1,000 or more to participate in, but we're doing it at no cost and we're doing it to help uh, our participant discover a healthy civilian lifestyle that they may not currently have. And we know that it works and we can see the, the, the changes in them as it happens. And we know that people have found something that they can rely on by becoming part of our organization. And although they were small and we don't have a big impact because we just operate right here in the lower Hudson Valley, we don't have a big impact. We're not going to become national. There, there are so many veterans and first responders within 50 miles of our headquarters in Beacon, New York. We never have to leave this area. What we have to do is capture what's working for us and share it as wide and far as possible so that this recently born community of veteran service organizations that are that are working with veterans and in, in growing numbers, veterans and first responders can learn from us and what's working for us just as we learn from everybody else in the industry uh, and what's worked for them in the past. So that's that's what I'm doing at another summit to help this thing work. And um, I think Henry's got some really good uh, things to say about what it's like to work on the ground. He's the one that's, you know, out there in the field most often. Yeah. So Henry, go ahead. Oh, that's a hard act to follow. Nice work, Aaron. Tough. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So I think one thing I want to underline is these events are meant to be fun and they're meant to be educational. Uh, I think Aaron said it really well, you know, not every single hike that we're throwing out there is a PEMI loop. And we offer, <laughs> you know, really intro level hiking classes for people who are first starting to get into it. Something that's worth mentioning, too, is that the the bulk majority of the programs we offer are also open to friends and family of first responders so that uh, and veterans. So if someone is a little bit nervous about getting out there and trying something like this for the first time, um, you know, we welcome them to bring in someone they know to uh, to make it a little bit more comfortable. We offer uh, anywhere between four, eight, 16 trips a month, uh, depending on what you're looking to do. Uh, this year, we're doing weekly canoe trips. Uh, we have fly fishing trips, hiking, backpacking, multi-day canoeing. And uh, I think something that makes our program really powerful is the staff that we have uh, and the people who lead these trips are trained 
uh, trip leaders who are either volunteers or staff. And it's, I think there's just as much power in going out and experiencing one of the, one of these trips as there is in actually being the person to lead them. And, you know, we encourage members who, uh, who join us for uh, trip after trip after trip to step up and go through some training and become a trip leader themselves. So there's opportunities, not just to get out there, learn something new, um, you know, enjoy the camaraderie of, uh, uh, being in a group in the outdoors, but also uh, being able to step up into a leadership position and actually share some of these experiences with other people. Yeah. You know, being not, I've, I'm not a, a veteran. I, I'm a first responder, but the organization is so important because of the camaraderie. Um, being on that, that PEMI loop with people that I had no clue about, only I've only met Henry, but there is a relationship that I have, have with them now that I feel connected with them. You know, I, I chat with them, stuff like that. And to have that again, you know, Aaron, I, once again, I, I wasn't never in the military, but if you leave the military, uh, you leave some of the people that you've been with for life that you think about every day, stuff like that. And, you know, you might chat with them, but you, you might not never see them again. You get hooked up with another summit. You'll meet your friends that have been in the military friends that have first responder, friends that have been in the same situations. And now you have people that are just like you and you can connect with them once again, uh, not through combat or through saving somebody's life or something like that, but on a, a little more adventure where you can connect and you can feel safe. And, you know, the camaraderie is just absolutely uh, amazing that I went through. I, I was, I was a, a kind of like a lone ranger on that, that one hike because, you know, I was, a search and rescue volunteer with with a bunch of uh military people uh firefighters and stuff so but just uh i i felt the connection and this is very important for our first responders and for our veterans because you you need people to talk to you need friends you need outdoor activities you need something to keep you occupied uh if you're having those like you said aaron those thoughts or something like that to keep you out of that mindset and uh this is absolutely when i learned about this i thought it was absolutely phenomenal so amazing for you guys uh for participating in this uh as well as you know doing your volunteer work and your your uh your military service so amazing so what about uh so another summit is part of guardian revival what's guardian revival that's that's another cool thing that i learned about it is it is so guardian revival was founded by um two young men who grew up in Carmel, New York, Alex and Chris, uh, Alex Othmer and Chris Watkins. Um, Alex and, and Chris played football together. Uh, they went to different colleges. I think Chris played football in Fordham and Alex played at the uh, Merchant Marine Academy. So Alex is the one who went off and, and became a SEAL officer. Uh, um, in the military community, uh, you, some people will move into those fields and they're, they're very unique in a lot of ways. They have a lot of drive. They have a lot of discipline, enormous amount of discipline. Um, so when I met Alex, I was blown away by somebody who, you know, was 25. Is that being generous to me? Maybe years younger than I am. And I thought, you know, I would work for this guy. So he was starting a company called Guardian Revival. Guardians being defined as people who are in the military, veterans of the military, folks that are currently first responders or used to be first responders. That was the original idea. And it was designed to help 
them live a healthy lifestyle to revive and preserve the mental health and the well-being of that community through different types of work. The types of work that we were going to do were kind of unknown at the time. This was 2019. <clears throat> what happened in 2020 is the pandemic, right? So everything paused. But then when it started back up again is when I got a, a invited in. Um, and that was early of 2021. So last year uh, was our second full year of operations as Guardian Revival. And, then, and we currently have four programs. We have another summit which is our therapeutic outdoor adventure program that offers walks and hikes, uh, paddles and, and backpacking and overnight uh, canoeing uh, and fly fishing. And we teach a field craft class, you know, the whole shelter, water, fire, tools, food uh, process. Uh, we have uh, an emerging outdoor leader training academy that's going to help folks get the skills and certifications needed to find employment in the outdoors. Um, we have, uh, you know, a growing program that we hope to have 2,000 members part of in another summit by the wow. end of this year. So another summit, though, is just one of these four programs. The other three are, are pretty cool. One's called Boots and Paws, probably the most popular one, as the name might imply. It has to do with dogs, not service animals, but we call companion animals. So they're breeds that are chosen on purpose to get somebody off their couch and outside. So they're, they're dogs that are working towards providing the therapeutic benefits of animal companionship. Um, we have a music therapy program called Encore. It has a label. It has music on Spotify. And what they focus on is, is creating these opportunities for, for veterans and first responders, for our guardians to get connected to making music. Um, we have uh, what we call jams regularly in this area where we work out of beacon um, Mayo Pack and Carmel, like these are all towns and villages that that your listeners probably aren't familiar with. But you know, we we work on the uh, just south of Poughkeepsie, New York, around the Beacon area, and to the east of the Hudson River is our primary equipment, uh, all the way into Connecticut. And then our last program, which is really probably going to grow into be the most important work we do, is called G Connect or Guardian Connect, and that's the that's a peer to peer program. That's meant to line up a person who uh, has similar experiences to somebody who's in need of help. But we train the, the peer, uh, the guardian who's helping um, their colleague out in some therapeutic methodologies that allow them to help a person navigate through the complex system of benefits, the uh, exposure to things that we can offer, everything from sleep hygiene, which is like how to develop a good way to sleep, Believe it or not, there's there's ways that work better than others, right? Henry and I aren't drinking alcohol tonight, but I don't drink at all anymore. It's because of my need to have real sleep. And I found that alcohol does nothing but interfere with my ability to process my past experiences at night. So they just don't go away, right? You learn things like that through programs like G-Connect. We have uh, all sorts of opportunities for anybody of any age who is a guardian in that case, to be connected with with folks in this community to get them out of their house to get back involved with the social life to get them the health care they need to identify what different types of therapies might be beneficial to them um so those are our four programs another summit boots and paws encore and g connect all of which are very well described on our website and 
we are open for people to join, to sign up and be part of this. Wow. That is a, so versatile all over the place for to help people out, to help our, our military people, first responders. That's amazing. I definitely want to look into different programs of that just to, just to hear about it. Just maybe get them on the show and talk about it because it just sounds so cool. Boots and Paws, G-Connect, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. So look up, check out Guardian Revival, another, uh, basically the leader of another summit. So diverse all over the place with, with the, the help of, of our veterans and first responders. It's amazing. So um, this idea came from from uh, one guy. What was his, what was his name again? Uh, two gentlemen, Alex Othmer and Chris Watkins. Awesome, and they connected just because of their their for their 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 experience and stuff like that, and found out that needed this would be a great benefit for. Our, our military people and the, and the first responders. Awesome. That's just, a, that's absolutely phenomenal. So how do you think from your perspectives, uh, being in the military and being a first responder, Henry, how does this help out uh, people with these situations? I think like we spoke about before getting out and having the opportunity to be with like-minded people doing a healthy activity, uh, expanding your interests, learning something new, um, these are all great ways to, to, you know, work on your own mental health and, uh, they're great things to share with others as well. With, with your firsthand experience of being with a number summit, how do you see, what, what do you see that, that helps them out? You know? Yeah. I think getting out there, teaching people new skills and giving them the chance to, to learn something new and spend time with others is, is really what we're trying to get at. Getting that, like like I said, when being on that that uh, hike with you guys was just getting the to talk to hear the talk to different people, and uh, to seeing the smiles and stuff like that. Even though we were having rough days, was uh, was phenomenal and helping each other out, being uh, friends for each other with not even you know knowing their first name for you know five minutes and stuff like that. You know, it's it's really fantastic. So, Aaron, what about you? Uh, how do you, in, in your perspective, how does this help out? The veterans and first responders well for those who participate there's a clear there's a, there's a clear impact a positive impact on both their psychological and their social health but i've i've learned to approach this also from a point of view of barriers that folks have to access to our parks and public lands um, especially in this region where we work where we're just surrounded by these beautiful places you can go and um through other job I had in the past, uh, I was able to work in New York on a piece of legislation called the Outdoor RX Act. And it resulted in a study that we conducted in New York to examine barriers that military veterans face when accessing New York State Parks, public lands and waters. And we found that a lot of the barriers were due to uh, just a lack of knowledge or a lack of education, um, not having the confidence in uh, what people perceive as the need to have this great outdoor skill, not understanding that they don't have to drop a couple of grand on equipment at REI before they can stay overnight in a state park, not understanding the great educational programs that the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation offers, right, around fishing education or uh, wildlife education. The, the benefits already in place for the veteran community 
uh, like and it, most of us can get uh, free lifetime access to all state parks if they carry a disability rating of 40% or greater from the VA. So just that lack of knowledge um, and my experiences in other parts of the country has, has convinced me that one of the things another summit can provide is education. We can teach people how to do, do the simplest thing. Go to a state park that has no fee to access and walk around a pond and do that with your friends and family because that's what we, what we want people to do. We don't, we're not asking people to join another summit and then go on all of these outings with us. We just want them to come to one and just learn one thing, like you can do this on your own, right? You can bring your kids out and do it. You can bring your friends out and do it. You don't, you don't have to go on a trip with us. If you want to learn how to fly fish and then take your, your friends fly fishing or go by yourself, we can teach you how to do that. You can come to a couple of classes with us and you'll probably be okay. Your confidence level will go up. Plus you'll learn how to use the DEC website to find public fishing access. Until you learn how to do that, it's a barrier, right? We can teach you how to use public transportation to access some of the best state parks in this area just by catching a train ride out of Grand Central. You know, we have such a high, we have over 200,000 veterans who live in New York City and an unknown number of first responders. So, you know, half a million people easily that we're reaching into the city to get them out up here um, and show them how they can do it without having to drive. Because a lot of the older folks in particular, they're not driving, right? How to create an outing inside an urban environment. You don't have to go into the backcountry to be outdoors. You could stay within a half an hour walk of your car or the trailhead and be in the outdoors benefiting from the experience. So we're, we want to, through another summit, we can teach that, right? We can inform people. We can educate. We don't have to do it in person either. We can educate people through uh, video shorts. We've been creating a series of them to run an educational program so that people can be exposed to the opportunities, never once spend any time with us at all but just learn about what they can do from where they live in this area, right? What they can access and, and how they can find information, and, um, you know, just make it easier for people to access the outdoors. So everything Henry does has a strong educational component, which he mentioned, right? We have, we have to have written curriculum for every single outing, which is unique for a company. If you lead a two hour day hike, you're teaching a lesson plan as an outdoor leader. Yeah. And even if the lesson is simply how to practice leave no trace principles effectively, including planning for your trip, which we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast about the importance of properly planning for your outdoor time, right? Or if you only learn how to read a trailblaze correctly, or that you should always have a paper map, like these are the very basic, here's where you can go. And these are the few things you need to know how to do. We'll teach that every single time we take people outdoors to try to broaden that educational impact. So that's that educational impact, I think. And yeah, the psychosocial stuff is super important, but the educational impact has to be very purposeful. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, you talk about not even just being on a firsthand experience. I didn't know about, you know, doing online stuff and, you know, over the phone education as well. That's, that's, that benefits a lot of people who can't, you know, make it to the, the trailhead or do not want to travel this far of, of a distance. I didn't, I didn't know about that. That's amazing. That benefits a lot. And then maybe, you know, once you do that 
online education, maybe they'll be interested to come to a different trailhead or something like that, or approach it at a different angle and then get the first on first uh, hand experience like Henry teaches. Henry, um, you want to chat uh, about your, you know, first on your, your on hand experiences about uh, another summit, what, what you have seen from the impacts that you've uh, done with your trips and such. Yeah. I think that I, I feel like a broken record here, but um, no, the, we have a little trip log um, that we pass around after we do our multi-day trips for people to sign. And we hear the same things that we see written in that after day long, uh, you know, single day outings is the sense of camaraderie and joy that comes out of spending uh, time outdoors with a group, even strangers, uh, like you mentioned before, is something really powerful for people. Um, and that's that's not just, you know, the guardian community, but also the friends and family that are coming out and experiencing time with each other. And I think, you know, something that I've loved about guiding uh, in every aspect, uh, whether it's with um, another summit or on my own, is taking someone who maybe didn't maybe they signed up with for something and they weren't quite sure they were going to be able to do it. And having them go through the motion, slowly building up confidence and walking off the trailhead with a, a new sense of accomplishment that they were able to achieve a goal that maybe they didn't think was obtainable before is it's a really powerful thing to watch someone go through. And it's, you know, it's uh, a powerful thing for them to go through as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, being there, like like I said, when I was with you guys with the Pemi Loop and we had two days of rain, you know, it was crazy, disgusting days, you know, kind of miserable. Everybody had their head down and stuff, but we still connected. I felt at the end of the hike, we were, you know, hugging each other, saying, let's keep in touch, giving each other names, giving each other, you know, emails, stuff like that, connecting and you know, I had no clue who any of these people were. I knew who you were. And then just over three days, uh, being with you guys made that connection. And now, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with, with a bunch of these, these people. And my mind, you know, is always just like, Oh, I wonder what these guys are doing. Would they want to come on a hike with me or something like that? Or would they ever want to do that? And to get, you know, your mind going in that way, you know, not just for me, but for somebody who's been through some, you know, military experience or, you know, first responders, some of their their experiences that they've had to get their mind off of that and be to travel, to get away from all that thought of what they possibly have been through in the past is a huge impact. And then, you know, taking them out in the wilderness and then, you know, they might, like me, you know, being 40 years old, it's, it's crazy how much, how fast, you know, bird watching has caught up to me. Like, I'm just like, oh, oh, is that a, is that a bluebird? I'm like, oh my God. You know, to have somebody like be like, like, look at this, look at this right over here. That's a thrush. Do you hear that sound? That's a thrush. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden they're connected to, to bird watching. They're they're, It's just, it's crazy. And you guys uh, offer that really, really well in, in all these different organizations, not just like hiking, but like you said, paddling, backpacking, uh, bird watching, walking around a pond, going around a local park. It's just, it's awesome to do it. And it's an amazing organization. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I have so much to say, but I don't know how to say it about this. This is very helpful for, 
for the people that need it. And uh, I wish we could reach out more. That's why I'm doing this is I want people to hear about this. I, I think we need more of this in our, in our country. I, I I'm hoping you guys agree with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people like help out, you know, reach out to uh, your, your veteran first responders to, to tell them to, about, about, you know, another summit or guardian revival or any, any way to get outside. Cause a lot of people don't know that outdoor therapy is, is very, very helpful for, almost any human being and they don't they don't understand it until they do it so it's it's crazy aaron you're you know your first hand-on experience with with the military how did you get into being outdoors and stuff is was that the military introduced you to that or something else beyond that you know a lot of people assume that if you're in the military um you're like in a movie that you're running around in the woods or um if you deploy into a place like uh, you know when i was in we would go to iraq a lot um, that it was just explosions and bullets flying, but that's not the case. The reality is that uh, there's a lot of different ways people serve this country in the military, and you might be, uh, you know, uh, an enlisted sailor on a submarine, or like one of my daughters is a medic or was a medic in the Air Force, and. Uh, her one deployment was to Guam to an airbase. Like they're in the military and they have their own experiences, but um, you're not really necessarily spending any time outdoors, not the way that we would. And I, I did a short couple of years with the light infantry division back in the early nineties. And we did spend a lot of time in the woods, but we did it in uh, platoons and we carried rifles and uh, you know, we, we slept in a foxhole. I mean, when's the last time, any of us here dug a six foot deep hole to sleep in that'd be weird right never (laughs) talk about violating some leave no spacemen the military does not follow (laughs) yeah Uh, three i actually joke that we should write a we should do like a leave no trace video for first responders on rescue so that (laughs) we remember to pick up all of our bloody bandages and, and and wrappers off the ground before we walk away um just imagine the way you where you are now with, with you being the military then she's like whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing what are you dropping that there pick that up take that out <laughs> yeah yeah i got some stories that the environmental conservation folks would not be, be too happy with but um, <laughs> so uh i was on my last deployment to iraq in 2011. we have soldiers in iraq right now i have a, a colleague a former colleague who's a lieutenant colonel now, who was a captain under me back in 2011. He's in uh, Iraq right now. He's part of a, an advisory, assistant advice brigade. It's a unit that specializes in advising foreign militaries on how to do a better job as a military. <clears throat> so, but in 2011, the administration at the time, which was President Obama administration, uh, we we were to, we were withdrawing completely, so we pulled everybody out of Iraq. The only thing that was left behind was our embassy personnel, and I was in the position where I managed um, like the air cover for the final 500 soldiers that, that left. So I was flying in a helicopter back and forth between Kuwait and um, Naz, the, the Nasra area of Iraq, um, which is in southern Iraq. So. I remember when that helicopter landed 
you know, I've been in that country. The first time I was there was in 1991 during during Desert Storm. And uh, oddly enough, pretty much the same place that I was at that point when I landed on this helicopter. So we landed in Kuwait and I got out of the helicopter for the last time. And it was like this immense relief that I would never have to go back to that country again, never have to be part of this again. And I wasn't even thinking about retiring, but I guess it was in the back of my mind. Um, because just like right around that same time or right after I got off that helicopter, I got this weird advertisement from Outward Bound offering veteran trip. And me and two of my colleagues, with the three of us signed up together. And we took a couple of weeks off, you know, uh, leave in March of 2012, did this week-long dog sledding trip in, in Boundary Waters. <clears throat> and that was it. That was, that's what got me involved in the outdoor community. You know, I call it the outdoor field. The field we work in is very diverse. We specialize in outdoor adventure and experience, experiential education. It's a very broad field. People get PhDs in this stuff. You know, it's it's not um, it's not guiding, it's not teaching, it's not therapist or clinical work. It's it's like this combination of things that takes a certain type of person, I think, to be successful in doing it. Um, and I, I wasn't aware of any. I didn't know this stuff existed. I knew that you could spend time at a park, but I had no idea there was structured programs with trained leaders that that you can create that. There's about 300 organizations that, that run outdoor programming for veterans in the United States today. And they're all nonprofits. And they're, they range in size from a couple of staff that are all volunteers to uh, organizations that have presence all across the country and have millions of dollars in their budgets. So it's, it's an interesting field. It's not black and white by any means. It's very um, particular and it's, you know, I like to tell this story is, is um, related to, to how we approach the work is of all the veteran service organizations that provide a, a structured, well-led outdoor program that has some therapeutic benefit, all of them together are only affecting less than 1% of the veteran population in the United States. Wow. 99% of our veteran population, and I'm not talking about first responders because that's a big question mark. 99% of our veteran population will never even have an opportunity to participate in any type of outdoor program that teaches them anything. And in the United States, on a good day, about half of our population spends one day a year on purpose in the outdoors. Many of us, like yourself, Spend much more time. Part of that's because you're blessed with where you live and the opportunities you have. But half of the population of our country doesn't spend any time on purpose outdoors. They don't benefit from any of the outdoor time. If they spend time in a park, it's because they're walking through it to get to work or to get to school or to get to something. Right? Um, we know these things. We know that we know the impact we have is so tiny that it's almost insignificant. But it's not insignificant. Right. Telling our story in places like this podcast is important because it creates more awareness. And yeah. it may be, you know, I've heard it from folks before that your story inspired me to go out to do something outside. To get my fishing license or to look up whatever the Department of Environmental Conservation is in New York. Never heard of them before. Right. Like 
it, 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 it can help people to take that step. And in particular with the people listening to this podcast, it might cause them to think about a first responder or a veteran that they know and just ask them the question like, hey, do you want to go on a hike with me next week? Or when's the next time you can come visit? We're going to go fishing this spring. We'd love to bring you along. Like this, those are the type of opportunities that I think we need folks to really step into. Yeah. And, you know, I was just going to actually ask that, like, how do we reach out more? The 1%, that's, that is, it's the, the smallest number you can get. <laughs> and it, it's just crazy. So how do we reach out? You know, I always say sharing is caring. Uh, but like, like you said, people listen to this podcast, reach out to, to local, you know, your, your local people that, you know, that's a veteran for veteran first responder. Uh, but Aaron, is there any other way do you think that we could reach out and get more than that 1%, the 300 organizations? That's awesome. That's, but 1%, that's just so low. Um, that's a really hard question. Like how do I'm we sorry. have a, have a bigger impact? I can tell you this, a couple of years ago, there was a piece of legislation at the federal level called the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act. And it, it's something that I, uh, in my previous employer, with my previous employer, I advocated for uh, in a number of places around the country with a lot of other folks. And it got passed into law. And by the same time, the Trump administration signed an executive order uh, creating free access to all national parks for veterans. And, uh, but it wasn't permanent, but now it is. So, so now we have a permanent free pass. Anybody who even served a day can no longer has to pay access to federal parks. Right. Wow. The Accelerating Veterans Recovery Act turned into a study. There's currently a federal task force co-chaired by the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Interior that's examining how to make it easier for veterans to spend time outdoors. But that's just the veteran community. None of that work has to do with first responders. Veterans are blessed in that they're very well organized and they have the Department of Veterans Affairs to lean on. There is no organization for first responders that advocates that for all of them at at the national level and certainly not in this type of work. So there's very few of them. For us, uh, we're trying to create that opportunity in the state of New York through the Outdoor RX Coalition to advocate for first responders to have things like easier access to park passes um, or access to educational programs, access to knowledge through their different associations. But I do think that the, the solution to all of this lies at the very local level and with, with folks that are able to access the education they need to teach themselves to do these things. Just knowing that 15 minutes a day outdoors has significant improvement in people's health. If you walk for one hour a day, you're reducing, you're increasing your health, not just your cardiovascular health or physical health, but also your mental health, your emotional health, your, these other aspects of your overall health and wellness. You know, getting that message out, I think, is what 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 we what we have been working on for a number of years now, and continue. So, if anybody's interested in helping out, they can donate to our cause. They can be part of our organization. They can start something on their own. They can find something on their own. They can they can be part of the Appalachian Mountain Club, the Adirondacks Club. They can they can join the Catskill Search and Rescue Team. Like, there's all these different ways you can get involved in the community, right? Um, and network yourself out there. But I don't think there, God, I wish there was just an easy thing that we could all do, but I think it's a mix. 
Yeah, definitely uh, sharing anything and everything on, you know, social media has a big impact. It also has a negative impact and stuff like that, but definitely sharing it on social media and uh, however you can, word of mouth, whatever, uh, makes a big impact and could connect one to person and then connect another person, word of mouth. It just, it, it goes all over. So spread the word, let's just say. So Henry, you have anything to add about that? No, I think Aaron <laughs> said it better than I could. <laughs> he's he's so professional. That's a, he's very good mm. professional speaker. This is this is good spokesman. Good. I was going to say the spokesman of another summit. It should be that too. And I can't catch a fish to save my life, which is why <laughs> that, we have hidden. It's a lie. Is it a lie, Henry? Yeah, I've seen this guy catching fish. I tied the flies for him though. So last fall, we did a two week thing up in the uh, Mount Katahdin area, and. I was like flying support and I parked my RV on the, oh, what was that river? What's the river, Henry, that goes by a ball? Why am I drawing a blank? I don't remember. That the Black River? No. Pimagosset, I think. No, I hate to mispronounce it. So I apologize for anybody listening who knows the answer to this. You can email it to me through our website. So, <laughs> uh, I think the Pama, uh, Passamagotti. It might be it. Okay. Anyways, it's a river that has Atlantic salmon that run up it. And unbeknownst to me, I would happen to be camping on this river uh, upstream of rapids at, a, at a, a still section before some more rapids that fish will take a break at when they're, when they're coming up the river to spawn. And um, uh, I caught... I was catching uh, sam uh, salmon like I could not put a fly in the water without pulling a fish out. It was just unbelievable. But wow. I was alone. So then the crew came back, our staff came back from what they were doing. And they sit up next to the campsite and they're watching me fish. And I'm like, get a camera and videotape this. I'm going to catch like 10 salmon in a row and just show it to Henry to make him jealous because he's not here. Right? So... Then I, I spend like 10 minutes fishing. I'm getting nothing. It's weird, right? Not a single fish is coming in because I mentioned Henry's name. They stopped. And I thought, okay, just it was bad luck because I mentioned Henry. Well, I was fishing with no fly on the end of the line. <laughs> I didn't realize, right? That's how good of a fisherman I am that I don't even know I'm not trying to, I'm not catching anything because the only thing going in the water is the tip of my, uh, my leader. <laughs> so yes, that's, I catch fish out of luck, not out of skill. That'll happen. There was pressure. You had pressure. So. Still catching <laughs> a fish. Exactly. Exactly. So um, how can we find out about the organization and trips? Easiest way is to go to www.anothersummit.org. It'll take you directly to the Another Summit page. You can do the same thing with Guardian Revival. What's really cool about us and what I bet people will be surprised to hear is that we hired a software developer on the hiking company staff. So another summit, an outdoor adventure company, has the full-time software developer who has made an app all for us and he manages this app for us. When you become a member of another summit, you can download and use our app. We give you the code to activate it. And the phone app connects you directly to everything we're doing. You do not have to open up an email or look on a calendar you just have to open up your app and see what's going on and sign up right there uh, on your phone, which is a really cool way 
for our members to get involved. But uh, step one is is by visiting our website. It's a real simple process to join. Everybody's allowed to join. You don't have to be a first responder or a veteran. You don't even have to have a family member. You can always join another summit. We really encourage our community members to just sign up. We, we love to have these diverse groups of people going out on these outings together. And um, the folks who need the help benefit from those environments a lot um, that we create for those short periods of time. So yeah, I encourage people to sign up, um, take a look at what's going on and, and then uh, select something. Just know that our multi-day trips are applications only. We prioritize veterans and first responders on those those expeditions. So if, if you if you if you want to join and, and try to get on one of our multi-day trips and you're not a veteran or first responder, uh, just be patient. It might take you a few tries before you get accepted. Um, Henry, you want to add anything to that? You said it all <laughs> once again. <laughs> it's very it's very smooth. I'm actually on those uh, both the I signed up on online and then I have the app. They're, they're both awesome stuff. Uh, has everything on there that you would need. Uh, it tells you difficulty ratings of what you guys are doing, uh, your trips, and uh, tells you all about the organization. And then it also connects you with Guardian Revival, uh, which is another phenomenal piece uh, of of what we need to help our veterans and first responders here uh, in the United States. And once again, I didn't know that anybody you know mostly can can hook up, but that's also another great thing to to add. You know, if you you hook up with with the organization, you're not veteran a veteran or first responder. Uh, getting that exposure to you know like minded people that love the nature and outdoors could give you another benefit uh, or another friend that has that experience and could take you and teach you more. Like you said, education is key. Um, uh, just like somebody pointing out, like I said, a bird just like over there just will spark your attention and get you going, and then get you hooked on that and get you away from everything else and like like you know henry has done and aaron of what you have done going out in the outdoors and got connected to the outdoors what i've done got connected to the outdoors and now we're all hooked and uh we want to spread this love that we have of the outdoors to other people and then get them connected and then get them on their way so amazing kitchen if you don't mind go right ahead so on the app you can see who the outdoor leaders are oh if you see a trip that uh, Henry is the outdoor leader on, I would drive hours to go on one of his trips. Talk <laughs> about an educational experience. I have never not learned some really cool stuff from a couple of hours with Mr. De La Vega out in the woods. Um, and Correct. it's the same with his wife. So Henry or Lauren, if, if they're one of the leaders on the trip, uh, you know, I highly encourage folks to come down from the Catskills and join them. Correct. Yeah, we'll show you. A, we'll show you a good time. Definitely, Hudson the Valley Catskills anywhere. Henry is there, and he's going to teach you so much stuff. He did it uh, on the Pemi Loop, uh, especially when he firsthand went onto my blisters and helped me out with my freaking. I don't know how many <laughs> blisters I had. Eight or nine? I'm pretty sure it was. It was many. <laughs> it was many. Helped me out and get me get me we, at the end of that that hike. We that fixed was, your right up though. It was. It was amazing. And uh, you know, the one thing I want to I want to say is, why doesn't Mark have a picture on there? That's uh, that's disappointing. Got to get a picture because of Mark. He used to be a Green Beret. Okay. All that's right. That's a joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not, but you got to get a picture of him on there. It's his worst time. I got to see that. <laughs> I did get a nice picture of him. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you if you look back there, if you check again at the end of this week, I'll I'll promise you there'll be a picture of Mark. He's a beast. I got to admit, that guy is, is a beast. And, and you know, to have him be with him firsthand, he is uh, he knows his shit. That's all I got to say. And to hear about him on a on a on a search and rescue team. Uh, I would have like the most confidence that I would be rescued by by Mark alone. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to embarrass him, but if you search his name and use the term "Silver Star" at the same time, you can read a really cool story about. Him. I will definitely do that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read that because I just I I messed with him so much on that on that hike, and it was so much fun. <laughs> um, awesome guys! So thank you for for joining me tonight. One last question. Post hike brews and bites. Uh, after going out for a hike or a backpack or anything, uh, what do you suggest you, you get to have or eat or drink around your local area? Go ahead, Henry. You can steal it. No, I I, I came up with another one. We're we're arguing over uh, over who would get to pick the Mexican place, but uh, I'll say uh, in Beacon we have a great restaurant called uh, Myers Old Dutch. So if you come up to hike in the uh, Hudson Highlands. Uh, which if you haven't, you should, it's really a beautiful park. Uh, that's a good place to get like a classic smash burger. I'd say close to on par with uh mama's boys uh, or mama's boy up there in uh, Tannersville. Nice. I'll connect that. Aaron, how about you, sir? Juanita's. Juanita's. Super perfection. Awesome. Family runs a great Mexican restaurant. And uh, my go-to is always what I, I've eaten a lot of burritos around this country and down south in in, in South America, Central America. And Juanita's is is number one on my list, clear easily. So you're a big Mexican man. Do you both make Mexican fans? Oh, I love oh, I love some Mexican food. You want to know They're where the excellent best excellent tamales? You want to know where the best Mexican food that I had was ever? Up in yes. Maine. Yes. Maine. 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 Mm. Yep. I've been like, like, I, I mean, I haven't done crazy. I've been all over the United States, uh, Utah down in Arizona. I used to live down in Arizona, California. I had one of the best burritos ever when we were going to Portland, Maine one time for, for a friend's, uh, wedding. And it was just like, I was just like, I was blown away. It was just amazing. So there's one in Maine and then one down in Arizona, of course, Arizona, this was like a really weird dive bar but it had the greatest mexican food so i'll have to check out juanitas now juanitas is in That's cold spring. it happens to be right near a trailhead up into the hudson highland state park how do you spell juanitas by the way j-u-a-n-i-t-a-s ah okay that that i was trying to find it and i was just like what the hell is that awesome i will plug those into there and uh anything you guys want to say be before we we end this the show i think this is an awesome podcast i'm glad that we're a sponsor yes i i have yeah, to, thanks for having us on when anytime when it when henry came came forward to me about about you guys sponsoring the show i was just like that's absolutely phenomenal i'm definitely all for it and uh i'm proud to to have you guys as a sponsor and i'm, I'm proud of what you guys do because it is definitely needed and i want to spread the word of this 
of this organization as much as I can. And I think anybody and everybody should share this episode to help out our veterans and first responders. So please do. So thank you for joining me uh, tonight, you guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, once again, thank you to whoever is listening to the show. Still 109 episodes in. Crazy. Um, thank you to the monthly supporters and the monthly sponsors. Thank you to another summit. Really appreciate you guys uh, sponsoring the show and for doing what you guys do. And uh, please keep it up. Let me know if I can do anything more to help uh, as well. And thank you for everything. So have a good night, guys. Good night. Hey, thank you. Hi, everyone. I just want to thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and throw down a smooth review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast platform that you use. You can also check daily updates of the podcast, hikes, hiking news, and local news on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the official website of the show. Remember this, you gotta just keep on living in the cat skills, man. Wicked, 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 wicked.